if you're even familiar with the subject, what might come to your mind when you hear the phrase Christian science, Church of Christ scientist? If you're even vaguely familiar with the subject, you might think of the name that is most associated with it. There's a woman where it all began. Her name is Mary Baker Eddy. Maybe you're familiar with that name, Mary Baker Eddy. Or maybe you're familiar with some of the stars uh, around that you know, you're familiar with on television that are associated with the Christian science movement. Did you know that, for example, uh, J.D. Solinger, the guy who wrote Catcher in the Rye, that famous book, he was a member of this cult. Or if you guys are presidential history buffs, any of you like to read presidential history, maybe you're familiar with the Watergate uh, saga uh, with President Nixon. His two, his right hand and left hand, his chief of staff and his, I think it was like his uh, main advisor, H.R. Uh, Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, their names are well known because they actually are the ones that kind of made the whole Watergate thing happen. They were both Christian scientists, part of the Christian science movement. Even the famed uh, actor Val Kilmer, he was a Christian scientist. Guess who was raised in this Christian science movement? Stars that you're familiar with like Ellen DeGeneres, Marilyn Monroe, Robin Williams, Elizabeth Taylor, Audrey Hepburn, even Shannon Miller. Y'all remember that gymnast who won the gold medal in the, I think it was like the 1996 Olympics? I thought she was a big deal because she... Uh, did all of her training at the gym next door to where I lived in Oklahoma City. So we thought Shannon Miller was, you know, walking on water. She was actually raised, I didn't even familiar with Christian science, she was raised in that environment. I wonder how many of you may not have your mind go to particular people. Maybe your mind goes more aptly to some publications. Have any of you all ever realized, oh, you know what, it never put two and two together, the Christian Science Monitor. Y'all ever heard of that magazine? That's a Pulitzer Prize winning periodical that was begun by the lady who began this cult. And it is still associated to this day with Christian science, though admittedly it tends to not have any religious propaganda. It tends to just kind of be a general uh, news source. Maybe your mind goes there. How many of you all have ever driven around Charlotte and you've seen this little storefront that says Christian Science Reading Room? Y'all ever seen that before? There's one kind of down near Dilworth. There was one near where I grew up in Oklahoma City. They tend to be in major cities. And the first time I saw it, I thought, that's weird. Like, it's a Christian like library where you read science books. I, had, I could not figure out what on earth it meant. You'll see Christian science reading rooms around uh, the community. I think the one in Charlotte is off East Boulevard and South Boulevard, right over there. And in fact, if you go down the street just a little, there's this beautiful white colonial-looking church. It looks like it would be your mom and pop First Baptist. But if you read the sign, it's got a beautiful little, uh, almost looks like it was straight off the Mayflower sign, and it says, the Church of Christ, comma, scientist. So bizarre. What is this? Maybe you're familiar with some of the practices that are associated with Christian science. For example, you ever heard of those groups of folks that don't believe in medicine of any kind? because of their religious convictions. And we're not just talking to like anti-vaxxers, which I get is a far more common phenomenon today. I'm talking like they don't go receive medical care almost ever. In fact, you've heard them say they believe in the power of prayer, which who doesn't, but they believe in the power of a prayer to the extent that all they do 
if they have an illness of any kind, is pray. They don't take a pill. They don't go to a doctor. They don't need medicine. They just use their mind to fix whatever they have. In fact, this has been in the news. Uh, it's been several years now, but there's actually been some child abuse uh, cases that have won. Folks have been charged with felonies and gone to prison for practicing Christian science with their families and withholding basic medical care that our government would rightly enforce on any American. We're not talking about some controversial decisions on if you're going to do this, that, you know, vaccine, for example. We're talking like major problems where if you decide not to take your child to the ER, you are going to be charged with neglect in this particular instance. That was happening uh, in light of some Christian science practices. Uh, maybe you've heard of this thing called uh, spiritual healing, where there's this belief that just through merely supernatural spiritual means without any physical intervention, this healing can happen. And we're not talking about something that we would all pray. I mean, my word, the scripture actually commands us to, to do this. We, of course, pray for the sick. But how many of us pray for the sick and just without any other effort throw up our hands and say, well, you know what, since I prayed, God's going to have to take care of this. You know, you've heard the old analogy. That's like the person drowning and somebody in a boat comes by, he says, no, God will save me. Somebody with a life raft comes by, he says, no, God will save me. Somebody comes by with um, a bird that will take him out and he's like, no, God's going to save me. And then he ends up drowning and he looks at the Lord in heaven and says, why didn't you save me? And he says, look at all the things I sent you. The Lord often uses means. This is what is referred to as Christian science. Where did it all begin? The interesting thing about Christian science is it began a whole lot like Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, Mormons began in the same century. Do y'all remember me saying at the first week in Mormonism that there was this odd phenomenon in the United States when this revival, fake revival, Second Great Awakening revival swept through, everybody thought they were Christians but really weren't. It was called the burned over district where everybody kind of felt like, well, you know what? This revival is just no good. And all these fights broke out denominationally. And then people started coming up with new, oh, this is what it means to really be a Christian. Let's get back to the early church. Let's get back to primitive Christianity. Let's get back to the beginning. And you started to see these fake Christianities sprout up like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. So too, we see in this century the rise of what's called Christian science. And it began with a young girl. She was raised in a Congregationalist home. Congregationalism was the predominant denomination of the day. It was kind of a wedding of Baptist life and Presbyterian life. It, it would have felt wholly Christian. Uh, her particular family, she was born in New Hampshire, 1821. Her particular family uh, was pretty strict in their beliefs. It, we understand that sh this young lady, her name was Mary, she had lots of fights with her dad. He was a pretty strict guy. She didn't like what he, who he was, and she didn't like what he believed. As a part of his church, they were a very strict church that preached about hell, preached about God's uh, sovereignty, and she hated both of those doctrines, wanted nothing to do with it, and so she kind of began to rebel. Incidentally, she also battled a lot of physical ailments. History reports that she battled these weird childhood uh, seizures and fevers. They called them spasmodic seizures. Uh, she would have odd hallucinations. She would go into these uh, weird psychological uh, spells that 
made her fairly desperate. Some will surmise that that was a response to the trauma she had being raised by her father. Some surmise that was due to the trauma from losing her brother at a young age. She got married to a man, and then I, I think it was like a year, uh, half a year later, six months later, he ends up dying. Then she ends up getting engaged to another guy, and her mom dies during the engagement, and then he dies six months uh, after they get married. She went through a lot of trauma. Some people surmise that this was all a psychological response to trauma. Some also surmise that she was a hypochondriac and just, you know, had an ailment and was always making mountains out of molehills. Some even surmise that she was just straight up neurotic. She was mentally unwell, unstable, which is actually going to be painfully obvious as we go through this tonight. No matter what the cause is, it's pretty clear that there was some significant mental illness at play in this young woman named Mary. Mary got desperate. After struggling through all of these doubts and the disease that she was battling, she got desperate and wanted to find a solution to her plight. Well, in that day and time, in the mid-1800s, there was a lot of uh, quacks around town purporting ways to get healed. They had all these new latest and greatest ways you could help yourself. It's not altogether different than today. If you have trouble, you have a little insomnia, you're up at night watching TV, there's some huckster on there trying to sell you something that's going to help you uh, with this particular ailment, this, that, or the other. You ever go watch Christian preachers on television? Almost all of them are no good because almost all of them, to one degree or another, are trying to pitch some sort of spiritual way you can heal yourself or you, if you just give me X amount of dollars, then you'll be free from whatever bad ailment you have in your life at this point. She began to wonder, is there somebody out there that can help me? Well, in this particular time, there was a movement that was quite popular in that era. It was called the New Thought Movement. And this New Thought Movement, I'm going to summarize it very briefly. It was essentially this kind of weird, new-agey belief that you don't need medicine. You need the mind to heal yourself that what's really wrong with you is not your physical body. It's all up here. Now, I know most of you are sitting here thinking, what? But there was actually a pretty commonly held belief that really what underlied most human illness and ailments and maladies was between your ears. It was your brain. It was bad thinking. It was wrong thoughts. And if you could only fix your thoughts then you could fix yourself. Well, she encounters one particular huckster, one man who was purporting this view quite commonly in that day. His name was Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. What a name. And Quimby was one of these guys that was giving this view that he had rediscovered the secret that Jesus had discovered so many years ago on how to heal people. He was arguing that you want to know why Jesus was able to heal all those people? It's because he had discovered a secret that you can have. It wasn't just merely because he was the son of God. It was because he had learned the art of healing. He had learned how to harness a power that's available to all to heal. And so she heard this 
and she liked it because it gave her a little sense of hope. Now, before we go any further, just pause with me for a moment and recognize one of the reasons I despise, hate with a passion, the prosperity gospel and why I'm actually willing to chunk rocks at TV preachers who do this is because they're preying on the innocent. They're preying on the vulnerable. They're preying on the needy. So imagine if you don't have any doctrinal guardrails, and by God's grace, you're in a church that's given you those for years and years. Imagine if you're a widow, you're home alone, you've been diagnosed with cancer, you're lonely and worried, you don't believe uh, your prognosis is good, and you're watching TV because you can't sleep, and there's this well-dressed man who's articulate telling you on the television that if you give him money and you pray this prayer, you will be healed. It's hard in that moment of vulnerability to just say you're a quack. That's appealing. And so you do it. And there have been widows. I mean, it's documented. There have been folks that have given hundreds of thousands of their dollars cumulatively seeking to get just a little bit of hope. I mean, don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys would be willing to do almost the irrational if it meant your wife might live longer or your child might enjoy a better quality of life. We're, we're all prone to do this. I would do anything. I'd empty my bank accounts for my little girl, for my wife. We would all do this. It's quite appealing to hear that you can finally discover the secret to health at last. So she heard this message and she bought it because she had all of these ailments. It's reported that she experienced some at least immediate sense of healing, although docu it's documented that that went away fairly quickly. But since she felt some immediate relief of some kind, she's like, it worked. Now, how many of you guys have ever, like, taken some vitamin, you get better, and you're like, it was that vitamin that made me better? When we all know that's probably not what it was, but, man, correlation sure feels like causation in that moment. You're like, I think it was it, but you try it again the next time you're sick and it doesn't work. That's what happened with her. She, she got probably just coincidentally better from whatever she was dealing with. She claimed it was because she did whatever Quimby told her to do. And then it's like she got into this weird mental state and began to down spiral. And she decided, I am going to be the new mouthpiece for this. And so she started to like become a wholesale believer. She had the fervor of somebody who's trying to sell you uh, one of those pyramid schemes. She was like really into this. She was going to start telling everybody, here's how you can get better if you just learn the secret that I've learned. Now, remember when I told you at the beginning that she clearly had some mental health imbalances? It's, it's fairly obvious that she did because from this point forward, she began, it's reported, to hallucinate, to hear voices, to have all of these visions and dreams. And she began to think that the that God, whoever this God is, was telling her to write stuff down. And so she begins to do this. She begins to write this book that has all the secrets to health that she's learned. She calls this book Health and Science with Keys to the Scriptures. And this is a book that she ends up authoring that helps explain the Bible and the secret to healing. Now, this book to this day is considered the authoritative book of the Church of 
Christ scientist. You can buy it on Amazon. They actually read from it in their church services. This is a significant work. In this work, she basically starts to make these arguments that when you're sick, if you just can change your mind, you'll heal yourself. Your mind is the controlling factor over your physical body. Now, I'm going to explain to you in a moment why she made this argument. In our doctrinal part and all the things she believes, all the things she taught, I'll spell this all out in a moment. But before we get there, just suffice it to say, she basically would say, when Jesus, back in his gospel days, told us that we could go and do as he did, that we could do greater works than he had done, that what he basically was telling us is that we could go and heal people just like he healed. And we could heal ourselves just like he had the power to because Jesus discovered what any of us can discover, the power of the mind, essentially, to change everything about your physical health. And so she ends up doing a few things to get her message out. She writes this book, Health and Science with the Keys to the Scriptures. We'll come back to that book in a moment. Then she goes to Boston and founds this college, this Meta Massachusetts Metaphysical College. It's this like little startup college where she basically teaches everybody what she believes the Bible teaches about healing yourself. Uh, this college is where she basically developed a bunch of these disciples who would spread out over all uh, North America and start purveying whatever she taught. Then she decides, let's start a church. We need to recapture primitive Christianity. We need to get back to how God intended the church to be organized. And so she founds in the city of Boston the first Church of Christ, comma, scientist. To this day, you can go to Boston and find this church. It's often called the Mother Church. And it is a beautiful edifice. It is a stunning facility. And this was the first church that Mary Baker Eddy ends up founding. By the way, she gets the last name Eddy from her last husband. She had several husbands. One she divorced, one that died. And then she ends up marrying this man, Eddy, who himself ends up dying long before her. Mary Baker Eddy. She founds this church. And in this church, here's basically what they do in a service. You go to a Church of Christ scientist service. It's a fairly sedate setting where they'll read a portion of the Bible, usually a pre-selected scripture. They'll read a selection from her book, Health and Science, which they believe is a divine book, essentially, that explains the Bible. They may sing a hymn, but may not. They may recite the Lord's Prayer, or they may not. And then other than that, they'll read. Every Church of Christ scientist, uh, every church, of, every one of those churches, has to set up a reading room. This room where you can study how Christ uh, healed. You can read these pieces of literature, all these approved pieces of literature that will explain how you can essentially heal yourself. That's essentially the sum total of their worship, which now leads us to this question. Okay, so in what sense is this Christian? Well, what's really odd is on the one hand, they'll actually affirm the Bible. They'll say 
they believe the Bible. But they'll say they believe it only as it's interpreted by Mary Baker Eddy and this book she wrote. Which, have you guys found that that's a strange similarity between all three of these cults? Mormonism, we believe the Bible, but as it's interpreted by Joseph Smith or as it accords with the Book of Mormon. Jehovah's Witnesses, we believe the Bible, but as it's interpreted by T.T. Russell and all those who came after him, we believe the Bible, but only through the lens of Mary Baker Eddy. Before she dies, it begins to take off. Christian science actually explodes. Now, that's not surprising. Think of the day and time. Praise God you and I live in the day of modern medicine. But a hundred years ago, it was just really beginning. This was a day and time where a cold really was a big deal because there was not easy access to medical care. And so if there is this new sect of Christianity that's saying we have rediscovered the secret that Jesus learned, that spread like wildfire. And people were starting to join it. In fact, within a couple decades, it's reported there were over a million people in the United States associating with Christian science. Now, it began to wane. And why do you think it began to wane? You ever heard that old adage, physician, heal thyself? That's because they were all dying, including her. She ends up dying. She dies in 1910. It's reported that on her deathbed, she pulled an associate aside and said, hey, don't tell him I just no died normally. Tell him that I was mentally murdered, which is going to, yeah, it's going to make sense to you in a moment why she would say that. But she wanted to even cover it up near the end. It began to kind of wane, but for whatever reason, it still exists. By the way, tonight, uh, before I came down here, I pulled up on YouTube. I just wanted to see if there were any videos on this. And there is a Church of Christ scientist chaplain at Harvard University. So I was like, well, that's an odd thing, because this is like quacky, but she's at Harvard, which, you know, is going to suggest themselves to be this higher, this great institution of higher education. And so I watched the video. It was a four or five minute video, and she's explaining her role as a chaplain, and she's evidently respected in the Harvard community, and she believes in reading Mary Baker Eddy's book, and this being the key to health. And I'm sitting there thinking, aren't there a lot of like, isn't there like a medical school there? And this is just so odd to me that these things coexist, and you can't have an evangelical group on campus, but you can have this. Quite interesting, isn't it? Let's talk through then what they actually believe, beginning with these sources of authority. As I already mentioned, she publishes this book entitled Health and Science with Key to the Scriptures. In this book, it's about 700 pages or so, she devotes roughly 500 pages roughly in this book. She devotes to all of these doctrinal views, all these things of what she believes about God, about man, about, uh, about health, about healing. She's got all this writing. Then there's another 100 pages or so where she kind of goes on this weird discourse talking about Genesis and other parts of the Bible, including the book of Revelation and what she thinks all of this means. And then the last 100 pages or so are a bunch of testimonies, a bunch of stories of people who have reportedly been healed through Christian science. Interestingly enough, she had lots and lots of critics in her day. In fact, there are even court cases proving she was a liar. There is an affidavit written by a doctor who said she made things up. For example, one key part of Mary Baker Eddy's story is that she slipped and fell on some ice. 
And upon falling, she got hurt so badly that she reported to be in critical condition in the hospital. And that she decided to reject the medical care she was receiving in the hospital. She opened up the Bible to the story where Jesus heals the paralytic man. And as she read the words, I say to you, rise up from your mat and walk. That she in that moment had a spiritual change of mind and healed herself. Well, her physician that cared for her released an affidavit. Which if you know what an affidavit is, I mean, this is a legal document now. And in that affidavit, he said, she's making that up. She was not A, in critical condition, and B, she stayed through the medical care. So she lied on both ends of that story. She had even some renowned critics. Do you want to know who her most famous critic was who wrote eloquently against her? Any of y'all ever heard of Mark Twain? The famed Mark Twain was a famous uh, dissenter from Mary Baker Eddy in her day. Let's explore now what she believed. First, with reference to the Bible, let's just make a few notes about, I mean, how on earth could you actually call yourself Christian? How could you say you're a person of the Bible with these sort of views? She actually believed the Bible to be a a good book, a a spiritual book, a, a book from God that you need, but she denied several things about the Bible, which is interesting because the things she denied about the Bible are pretty common in cultic practices. For example, when she looked at the Bible, she said, well, you know what? I, I, I think the Bible came from God, but I also think my book came from God. So really, they're side by side. They're like handmaidens. They, they go together. And the Bible is kind of like a, a contaminated voice from the past. And I am an uncontaminated voice in the present. So my book is like a clearer, more faithful revelation from God. Whereas the Bible, it's got all this error from all these years of being collected. So she really just kind of disregards the history of the Bible. In fact, when she reads the Bible, she basically doesn't read it as history. Which, by the way, we do. We believe the Bible happened at a real time, in space, to real people. It's, it's history. She just spiritualized the whole thing. So when she would read it, she would just kind of read Adam and Eve as basically an allegorical story. Uh, Jonah and the whale, an allegorical story. Pretty much any story in the Bible. It just had spiritual meaning. It was like reading one big giant poem. Any of you guys ever take a literature class in college or any of you all maybe English majors or ever taken any sort of poetry? What's so frustrating in higher education today is when you go into classes like this, Truly, what they believe is, well, whatever it means to you is what it means to you. So there is no set meaning to any given poem or piece of literature. It's kind of like whatever is in the eye of the beholder. And they just kind of sit around and impress each other by who has their own most interesting take on it. That's very common. The smartest Ivy League colleges in America are filled with professors who love this. This is not like me just doing some right-wing talking point. This is actually true. I went to a Christian college, and they did this. This is very common in higher education today. She basically just kind of looked at the Bible and decided, I'm going to just make it say whatever I want it to say. And that is always the beginning of error. It can start quite small, but just like a boat. If you just get off a degree out at sea, it may only feel like you're a few feet off immediately, It may even feel like you're a few yards off in 10 minutes, but you give it an hour, you could be a mile off. You give it a day, you could be hundreds of miles off course. So too, 
It just begins small, but surely you will begin to diverge. And so she began to diverge. And what she began to teach was so foreign to Christianity that, my friends, what we're studying is a kind of like grape nuts. Y'all ever notice what's funny about grape nuts? They're neither grape nor nuts. Christian science is neither Christian nor science. You're going to discover what she taught was just straight odd. Let's begin. What did she teach in this book, Health and Science? Well, one of her main premises, which is immediately going to make you say, that ain't Christian, is she believed that God, the concept of God, was this impersonal, pantheistic force. Pantheism, by the way, means God is everything and everywhere, as opposed to polytheism. Polytheism means there's multiple gods. Pantheism means, well, kind of everything is God. And she actually had as a core tenet the belief that all is God and God is all. Anything and everything is God. So she had this impersonal sense of God. You wouldn't relate to God as a person. God is just this allness. He's pervading all reality. In fact, she would say this, God is reality. Reality is not matter, things that you can touch. This is not real. She would say what we're perceiving right now, our physical bodies, the table, this, all of this is not reality. What is reality is the spiritual realm. God himself is the concept of reality. So there's some major implications of this. Well, on the one hand, she denied the God of the Bible as being triune. She denied the Trinity. When she would read the Bible and she would see these descriptions of God, she would say, well, what, what we really mean by the Trinity is like these concepts of God. Like, for example, she would say the Trinity is really life and truth and love coming together. A triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit, that's polytheism. And somehow she was righteously indignant towards polytheism, but was all about pantheism, which is my, makes no sense to me. She just kind of viewed the Trinity as, I know this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but really just this, uh, it almost sounds like theological liberalism today, where really God is just love. That's whatever I think love is in that moment, that's what God is. So that was her essential view of the Godhead. Now, if this stuff isn't real, and the only thing that's real is God, then what do you think she believes about us? She actually doesn't really think we're really physical bodies. She thinks mankind is essentially God itself. We're divine. Consequently, we're sinless. She doesn't really think you are a body. You are, in truth, a spiritual being, and it's an, it's an error of your mind that makes you think you're a physical, decaying, dying body. She doesn't think humans, people, are blood vessels and hearts and organs. You're a spiritual being. You're, you're this divine being. And you just have a problem with your head that's making you think that your heart is aging and that your cholesterol is increasing and that your knee is aching. This is just all a problem of your mind. In fact, if she even had a concept for sin... Her concept of sin was that you just aren't thinking right. She actually would say that sin is an illusion. So is sickness and death. That was a core belief of hers, that there really wasn't anything called sin. It's just wrong thinking. 
If there is such a thing as evil in this world, it's thinking wrongly. If there is such a thing as disease in this world, it's just you having bad beliefs about reality. That's not actually true. Now, before we go any further, I know there's a lot of you waving red flags thinking, huh? And I'm with you. I don't know why there are people today that still operate this way. It, it doesn't make logical sense, but this is actually, I think I'm being fair to them. This is actually what they teach. For example, you're sitting here thinking, well, if, if we're not real, and God is just kind of like this pantheistic everything, and we don't sin, then who was Jesus, and why on earth did he come? Well, let's talk about that for a second. He actually believed, she actually believed, that Jesus was just this mere human that taught us how to rescue ourselves from the illusion of sin. So, she would say Jesus was a fallible, pretty much fallen God, just like the rest of us. He had errors on some stuff. He wasn't God, but he was. He was as much God as you are, because we're kind of all God, right? If God is reality, then we're all kind of this divineness. And so he was pretty much kind of God like you. And what the reason Christ came to earth, the reason he is remembered to this day, is because he rescued us from this illusion. He showed us a way to finally open our eyes and see reality. He taught us how to heal ourselves. He taught us what it means to be a good, righteous, and just person. He taught us this. He, she would actually distinguish between the name Jesus and the role of Christ. She did not call him Jesus Christ. She, Jesus was a man, and Christ was this divine idea of how to heal yourself, how to embody all that is good and right and true. So Jesus was just this Palestinian man, just like you're a Irish person, and Christ was this divine idea of how to heal yourself. And Jesus was basically just Christ in the flesh. Jesus just showed us the Christ ideal that, well, you can have too. So now some of you are thinking, all right, it's crazy new agey. I mean, this almost feels like we're talking about like Buddhism right now and not anything remotely Christian. What was the cross for? What did he do on the cross? It's a good question. In Christian science, they would say that the cross really didn't atone for sins because there's really no sins to be atoned for. It really was just a great way Jesus demonstrated goodness, which is basically like essentially what modern-day theological liberalism teaches, by the way. So it's, we're not just Church of Christ scientists. Go a few more miles down the road, and you're going to see this beautiful church. I mean, it's a shame the gospel is not preached there. I'd love to preach the gospel in a church like that. Y'all ever seen Myers Park Baptist Church? One of the most beautiful churches in Charlotte on this beautiful tree-lined road in Dilworth. You go in there, you will never hear the gospel. That is a liberal mainline Protestant church that basically teaches Jesus was a good moral example. And you can be like him and care for the LGBT full stop. Like, that's it. That's, their, that's the sum total of their message. She basically said the cross really didn't do anything. In fact, she would have said the cross, that's a horrific, disgusting concept to think that God needed his son to die for the sake of sins. You don't need a blood atonement because, remember, none of that's really real. Jesus really, he just came to kind of give you the idea of God. 
to show you how to heal yourself, to show you how to really live. You don't need to be atoned for because you aren't a sinner. You just have bad thinking. And he's showing you how to get rid of that illusion and to think rightly and to heal yourself. Okay, so then what's the message of the Church of Christ then, like if of scientists? If you believe all this, then is there, like, why go to church? What's the point here? What's your salvation message? What's your core thing? Well, in essence, they would say you need to go to a Church of Christ scientist because it's only here you're going to learn how to escape false beliefs or to stop believing in illusions. Salvation is opening your eyes at last to true reality and escaping all these illusions. They would even say salvation is ceasing to believe that sin is real. Now, friends, does this not sound like it came straight from the lips of Lucifer? Does this not sound as old as the Garden of Eden when he says, did God really say? It sounds awfully satanic to me. Hell is not real. It's just a wrong state of mind. You ever heard, you know, heaven is just a state of mind? That's essentially what she believed. Heaven is a good state of mind and hell is a bad state of mind. Heaven is you basically getting into this place where you are one with the Christ, with the divine ideal, and you are able to control your mind such that you can essentially heal yourself. Now, my friends, if this is just head-scratching, puzzling, odd, it's because it is. This is regarded as a Christian cult. That lady that I spoke of, the chaplain at Harvard University for the Church of Christ Scientist, the first thing out of her lips is we are a Christian organization. We are a part of the great Christian family. She calls herself Christian. She's just, instead of being Catholic or Protestant, she's this flavor. And my friends, it, that leads us to the last question. Like, is this Christian? Even remotely? And of course, I don't think I need to belabor this point, but the answer is pretty clearly no. This is, this is a cult. This is defying, denying the heart of the Christian faith on so many fronts I could just reiterate my entire speech and be like, yep, exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D. It denies who God is. This is, this is pantheism. This is basically Buddhism or Hinduism. This is not anything remotely uh, referencing the monotheistic God of the Old Testament and New Testament. This is, this is picturing God as just some sort of ethereal force. It denies who God is. It denies what God says. It is saying that the Bible is just some spiritualized book. It's just a book you can kind of make to say whatever you want it to say. And it also is suggesting that God has spoken through this lady named Mary Baker Eddy. And you read this book, Health and Science, and it's going to help you understand what that Bible means. It denies who Jesus is. It's basically saying Jesus was just essentially this mere man who discovered the secret and taught us all how to discover the secret too. He healed people not because he was God. He healed people because he learned what, well, you can learn. And you could essentially heal yourself and others just like Jesus. By the way, Mary Baker Eddy was asked by a famous doctor from the American Medical Association in that day. She was asked, 
He said, I will publish in the New York Times that I believe you and that all in the country should follow you if you could come and heal these particular people. And do you think she did it? You know, where were all the faith healers during COVID, by the way? All the guys on TV that claim that they can heal. They had COVID. They were locked up. Like the rest of us. Friends, I'm sorry, but the emperor has on no clothes. This is this this is all a, a, a charade, and they know it because if you offer that kind of healing to somebody, they desperately want it. Who wouldn't when you're desperate? They denied who God is, what God said. They deny who we are. They said we're sinless. That is demonic. That is straight from the mouth of the devil. They denied uh, what we really need. They are saying you don't really need salvation from your sins because you don't have it. You just need to be enlightened. You need your eyes to open to see what you really want. And who doesn't want health? My word, who doesn't want it? They deny, I don't even know how it's tolerated in atheistic circles because they deny science itself. And they basically are just coming up with these quacky ideas. And so, as I said already, let's just put a finer point on it, folks. This is just nothing more than a whole bunch of grape nuts. It's neither Christian nor science. We must conclude that Christian science is a cult. Now you come back next Wednesday night and we're going to look at the cult that is so often associated with it but is quite different. Scientology. So y'all go brush up on all of your pop culture and all those people you know that are involved in Hollywood with Scientology and next week we're going to study just what's involved there. Why don't you allow me to pray? And then when I say amen, I'll invite up our distinguished moderator and we'll do a brief church conference before you guys will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these brothers and sisters and I pray that all I said tonight was faithful and fair. And I do pray for those who are in the bondage of illness and are desperate, Lord. I pray that they would find their hope in your sovereignty and not in these ploys. Pray, Lord, that if any of us were to come across Christian scientists, that we would show them the hope of the gospel found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, risen and reigning and coming again. I pray, Lord, that you would drive back the forces of darkness, that Satan would be restrained and that his lies would not take hold. May we, as a church called Hickory Grove, be a beacon for the light of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.